So many people, not enough seats. It's time LBC thought about a church plant, huh? Just throwing that thought out there, elders. Um, but thank you once again for the invitation to be here. And uh, thank you so much for the warm welcome. And uh, thank you, Owen, for reading so well for us earlier from Genesis chapter 12. Uh, there's also on the side of these little cards, if you'd like to take some notes and message today, and there's pens out in the, the foyer there, grab one of those if you'd like to take some notes. Also, as I encourage the folks in Bill Turbot when I'm preaching there, please do have God's Word open in front of you, either on a device or in a physical Bible if you can. Uh, I'll be referencing the Scriptures, and here, this is the only way that you're going to know that what I'm saying is true, insofar as you see it coming out of God's true Word, so... We give thanks for God's word. I'm going to turn now to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 9, as was read for us earlier. So Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 9, please do open it up, uh, the physical Bible, or open your device. And as you're doing that, I don't know if you ever take the time to glance at your junk mail inbox. I'm not talking about uh, the junk mail that perhaps comes through your physical letterbox, used to be the only junk mail we had to worry about, right? Now it's 10 times worse on email junk mail, right? 10 times worse. I've got a box that I barely look at, uh, a folder on my computer with the junk mail. But it, it does make for comical reading now and again to go and see what people are trying to flog us. Here's a few, here's a selection of some of my junk mail. Walmart winner. You have been chosen to participate in our loyalty program for free, which is interesting since I've never bought anything from a Walmart in my life, and yet I said, apparently I'm, I'm, I'm in their loyalty program. Prudential Real Estate. Hi, Prudential Homes of America has registered an interest in your home. So apparently there's someone from America who is just dying to buy up my semi-D in Bilturbid. Free iPhone 14, confirm now to receive your free iPhone. And all we have to do is to click on that dodgy looking link and a free iPhone 14 will be ours. You know, as we read through our junk mail inbox, what essentially do we find there? We find false promises, don't we? False promises. Some promises are just too far-fetched for any sensible person to believe. Make no mistake, if you think that the promise of a free iPhone is far-fetched, then what we read of in Genesis chapter 12 is on a whole different level. Because the promises that we read that God makes to Abram in Genesis chapter 12 are out of this world. But what we do see in this passage is that God is not making false promises. He is not making promises that he cannot deliver on. Rather, what we see is God extending his blessing to Abraham in order that his blessing might extend to the nations. God is extending his blessing to Abraham in order that his blessing might extend to the nations. Two parts that we're going to see this morning. We'll maybe throw that up on the slide. First of all, God's blessing to Abraham. Second of all, God's blessing to the nations. So let's look first at God's blessing to Abraham. Now, before we get to these great promises in Genesis 12, it's helpful to see where we've come from. 
in the story uh, as we come to this point. The previous chapter in chapter 11, if we were to take the time to read that, it tells us about the sinful rebellion of humanity at Babel. This is people's attempt to make for themselves a great name with this great city and great tower that reaches all the way to the heavens. And this is humanity's sinful attempt to do life without God. They want to make a name for themselves. This is their rebellion against God. And so what does God do? He comes down and he confuses their language. And he scatters them across the face of the earth. This is God's judgment on sin. And you know, the Bible could have ended right there. And Genesis chapter 11 would have made for a short Bible, right? Because what do we see? We see the same story that's been happening in Genesis already. We've seen humanity having made a mess. It started with our great-great-granddad, Adam, who sinned in the Garden of Eden. God came and judged, and they were scattered, sent out from the Garden. It's been a repeated cycle, Noah, and what happened there. And now we come to Genesis chapter 11 and Babel, and humanity's at the same old thing again. We've messed up. We've sinned against God. God has judged us. It'd be a pretty hopeless story if it ended there. But mercifully, there's Genesis chapter 12 and following everything that comes up after Genesis chapter 12. Because what we see when we turn the chapter is that God is working in incredible grace once again. Notice what he says to Abraham in chapter 12 and verse 2. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Do you see what God is promising to do here? Back in chapter 11, the previous chapter, humanity hopelessly scattered across the face of the earth, hopelessly separated from each other, and hopelessly separated from God. But now what God is promising to do is is to gather a new people for himself. He's going to make of Abraham a great nation. He's going to bless this great nation. This is God acting in grace once again towards humanity through Abraham. It's important to remember that Abraham by no means deserves this. By no means does he deserve this. Later in the Bible, in Joshua 24, it tells us what we could already assume when we know about Abraham's background is that he worshipped other gods, gods other than the one true God of the Bible. Abraham's a strange choice because he's not someone who was looking for God, but God was looking for him. But he's a strange choice as well when we think about his family. Read chapter 11 and verse 30. What we read there makes Abraham a very strange choice of someone. If you're going to pick someone who you're going to make a great nation of, Abraham's a strange choice because of what we read in verse 30 of chapter 11. Now, Sarai, that's Abraham's wife, was childless because she was not able to conceive. How about Abraham and Sarai, a great couple to start a great nation when they can't even have children? So here's this man who's worshiping pagan gods. Here's this man who can't have children and we're scratching our heads. Why Abraham? But of course, that's the whole point, isn't it? Because it's never been about Abraham. It's been about God and his grace and his mercy. Notice that five times, no less, when God is giving these promises to Abraham, he says, no less than five times, I will. Look at verse 2, for example, again. 
I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. This is not about what Abraham can do for himself. This is about God, how God will bless Abraham. Notice that God doesn't say to Abraham, you must, you must do this and then I will bless. No, God says, I will bless you. Now, later God does tell Abraham that he expects obedience on his part, but it's very important for us to remember, as with Abraham, so with everybody else in the Bible and up to the present day, obedience is the fruit and not the root of God's promise. Obedience is the fruit and not the root of God's promise. The root of God's promise is His grace and power to do what He has promised to us. The fruit of the promise is our obedience in living faithful lives to this gracious God. And as with Abraham, so right up to the present day, because thankfully God is still the one who's acting in grace towards His people. Thankfully, the pandemic is a long time past, but I I do remember during the pandemic, I, I don't know if you experienced this, those temperature check devices Apparently, that was going to be a surefire way of finding out if we had COVID or not anyway. Uh, you go into an establishment, perhaps you were, your child was getting onto a school bus, and they would put one of those little temperature check devices on their forehead to see if their temperature was correct. I remember going for a funeral once during the pandemic, and this particular funeral home that I was going to had a fancy temperature check device outside, and it was like a, an ipad size screen that you walked up towards, you, you looked at the screen, and it would either be green for the right temperature or red for a too high temperature. I remember lining up to come into this funeral and starting to get a bit hot under the collar because, you know, I've been in a bit of a rush to get there that morning um, and uh, I, I was lining up now and I could see this temperature check device and thinking, well, what if I get a red reading? How embarrassing to have to turn around, get back in my car and not be able to attend this funeral. Thankfully, it was green and all was okay. But sometimes... Sometimes we can have in our heads that sometimes placed outside of the church, there might be a spiritual temperature check device. That as though entrance into the church, not the building, of course, but into God's people, his family, that entrance into God's people, we need to meet the certain standard, the spiritual temperature standard. So we have to be wearing the right clothes. Or perhaps it's because we read our Bible so faithfully. Or perhaps it's because we're really good in prayer. Or perhaps we're really good at giving and really sacrificial at giving away our money. Perhaps it's because we're really good at telling our faith to other people. And so we think we've got to meet the spiritual standard before we can be accepted. But brothers and sisters, that's never been God's way. God's way since the very beginning is His promises come to us by His grace. He is the God who has acted in grace towards us supremely through the Lord Jesus Christ. Who didn't wait for us to get our act together to meet a right spiritual temperature before he went and hung on the cross for our sins. No, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God is the God who's still acting in grace 
towards his people. And we must remember that we are here today because God has said to us, I will, not you must. He is the God who said to us, I will, not you must. He's the God who's acting in grace. But there's more here for us to see. Because in the light of God's blessing, Abraham responds with faith. Let's have a look at that second part, God's blessing to the nations. Well, Abraham's part in this chapter, it shouldn't be overlooked. Because this is no small ask that God is making of him. I mean, put yourself in Abraham's position. It's like, imagine God told you to up sticks and move to Morocco, except there's no GPS to find your way there. There's no planes to find your way there. You're going to have to go overland on foot. Not only that, you've got no idea what waits you in the land of Morocco when you get there. This was a huge ask. Abraham is being asked to leave behind the comfortable and secure in his family, in his homeland of Haran, being asked to move to this distant land of Canaan. And yet, what do we read? How does Abraham respond? Look at verse 4. How does Abraham respond? Have a, have a look at verse 4. So Abraham went, as the Lord had told him. Abraham gets up and he goes. He obeys what God tells him to do. And of course, this is how we know that Abraham had genuine faith. He listened and he obeyed what God had said and told him to do. Because true faith in God always shows itself in obedience. And in Abraham's act of obedience here, we get a glimpse, just a glimpse, of these great promises being fulfilled in his lifetime. In verse 7, have a look again there, you'll see that Abraham actually builds an altar to the Lord. He's building these altars of worship to God. And again, in verse 8, you'll see there, from there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. You could also say that he was proclaiming the name of the Lord. This is Abraham worshiping God through these, uh, these acts of worship as he's raising these altars in worship to God. Abraham responds in worship to God. In light of God's goodness and promises to him, he worships. But it's really helpful for us to see the backdrop of his worship. I don't know if you noticed that strange reference in verse 6. Have a look there again at the end of verse 6 where we read, at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Now we might wonder, why have we got this reference to the Canaanites being in the land? Why has Moses, as he records Genesis, put this detail in here for us? It seems a bit of a no-brainer. Abraham is in the land of Canaan. Who might we expect to be in the land of Canaan? The Canaanites, right? So why are we being told what seems like a pointless piece of information that the Canaanites are in the land? We're giving, getting some helpful context of where Abram is erecting these altars of worship to God. He's doing that in the backdrop of the Canaanites, people who did not worship the one true God, people who worshipped a plethora of pagan gods, but not the one true God of the Bible. And Abraham is proclaiming the name of the Lord. He's, he's worshipping God even in the midst of the Canaanites, this nation being around him. 
Why could Abraham do that? Well, in the light of God's goodness to him, Abram worships the Lord in the presence of the peoples around him. And you know, if Abraham had reason to praise God in the presence of the peoples, haven't we got more reason this morning, brothers and sisters? Haven't we got more reason? You know, the Apostle Paul, when he's writing about these verses, these promises in Galatians chapter 3, he says that this is God proclaiming, declaring the gospel in advance to Abraham. When he said that all nations will be blessed through you, this is God preaching the gospel in advance to Abraham. You see, this promise to Abraham, it speaks far beyond his time and far beyond the limited blessing that Abraham could offer to the nations by by praising God in their presence. Because this promise in Genesis 12 speaks of how God would fling wide open the storehouse of his blessing in and through Jesus Christ. But for all of us, from whatever nation or whatever background that we might find ourselves, for all of us that would repent of our sin and put our trust in Jesus, we receive the greatest blessing that God has to give. It's the gift of forgiveness. That's God's ultimate blessing that he has to give us. No longer hopelessly scattered, but made part of his people. Sons and daughters of God through simple faith in Christ. Part of God's family, part of Abraham's family. That's God's gracious gift to any of us that will simply accept it with the empty hands of faith. We're invited into God's family. Invited into Abraham's family. I wonder, I wonder have you become part of God's family? I wonder have you received these promises for yourself and for your life? It can be yours today. Simply by repenting of your sin, acknowledging that you've rebelled against God. And putting your trust in Jesus. That his death 2,000 years ago wasn't a meaningless waste of life. But it was a payment for sin. For your sin indeed. And for mine. That's how you can become part of God's family. That's how you can accept his gift of grace to you. And I hope that you have accepted that gift of his grace. And for all of us who have accepted that gift today. Listen to what the Apostle Peter says of this new family. We'll throw that scripture up on the screen. Here's what Peter says about this new family. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. God has made us in the church his holy nation, his set-apart people so that we might declare his praises even in the midst of the people around us who don't worship the one true God. And let's think about that for a moment this morning because something quite incredible is happening this morning as we have gathered to worship. You see, as we have gathered to worship this morning, we are evidence, brothers and sisters, We are evidence that God has kept his promise to Abraham. He did not fail on his promise, but indeed 
The gospel has reached to the outer nations of the world, even here to Ireland in 2023. The gospel has reached us. We are here today by His grace, and we are praising His name. God's blessing has gone to all nations. God has kept His promises. We have received that blessing through Christ. So God has fulfilled His promises, and we can see it as we gather. But there's more. Not only as we gather can we see God has kept His promises, as we scatter through the week, we can see God continuing to keep His promise to Abraham. Because as we scatter through the week, we are around all the different people around us who don't worship the one true God. They can hear of His blessing through us. We can speak of Christ. Now, when I say that, please don't hear that as a burdensome burdensome command. When preachers get up and talk about doing the work of evangelism, normally we can get that feeling of guilt of all the opportunities perhaps that we missed to share Christ. Or maybe we think, oh, if only I could speak out more, then maybe Patty or maybe Jenny would, would, would come to Christ. Now, yes, we do need to speak. But we also need to remember that we don't speak so that God's promise will be fulfilled. We speak knowing that God's promise will be fulfilled. Let me just say that again because it's an important distinction. We don't speak so that God's promise will be fulfilled. We speak knowing that God's promise is being fulfilled. I don't know if you've watched the Chronicles of Narnia films or, or read the books by C.S. Lewis. Not long ago, Catch and I were watching the Prince Caspian film. There's a lovely scene in that where Princess, Prince, or Queen Lucy, I should say, is uh, perhaps a 12-year-old go- girl at this stage, and she's standing at the other side of this bridge and approaching her from the other side of the bridge is the retreating enemy army. And the enemy leader sees little Lucy standing at the other side. And, and standing with full confidence, little Lucy, 12-year-old girl, pulls out this little dagger and stands there. 12-year-old girl versus this massive enemy army. And she stands there with complete confidence. The leader of the enemy forces gives a laugh of contempt and then commands his forces to charge across the bridge. But at just that moment, Aslan the lion comes and stands at Queen Lucy's back. She glances round with a smile at the great Aslan and turns back and looks at the now trembling enemy force. Her confidence was not in herself Her confidence was in the great lion, Aslan. And that is a marvelous picture of the confidence that we can have as God's people. We stand with a lion behind us and we can speak with the bravery of lions as a result. Our confidence is not in ourselves. Our confidence is in a God who for thousands of years has faithfully kept his promises to his people and he is still keeping them to this day. He's keeping them as we gather here today. He's keeping them as we scatter through the week into our various fields of service. And doesn't that give us the confidence 
Doesn't it give us the confidence to open up our mouths and speak of this great Jesus? As you go out into your workplace tomorrow, and perhaps someone asks you, well, what are you up to at the weekend? Doesn't that give you the confidence to say about being here at church this morning and perhaps inviting your colleague to come along to church? Doesn't that give you the confidence perhaps to offer to read one of the gospels in the Bible with someone who has shown an interest in the Bible? Doesn't that give you the confidence to invite somebody along on Tuesday night to hear somebody talk about how the Bible and science are not at odds with each other? And present the gospel through that? Doesn't that give us confidence, brothers and sisters, to pray for and to send and gladfully plant churches to the glory of God, knowing that we come to a God who is in the business of keeping his promises? Our gracious God has kept his promise and he is continuing to keep his promise. He's doing it through me and he's doing it through you. To him be all the glory and to our internal encouragement. Amen. Amen. I want to hand back to you. Thank